Thank you so much for that. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Luke, Luke 2. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats there, it's page 857. Normally we dismiss the children at this time, but they're going to stay in with us uh, this morning. You know, my heart was warmed as I watched the children uh, do their program here. So thank you for all the people who are uh, worked with the children to prepare that. That was a blessing to my soul. I couldn't help but wonder as I was watching these children interact with each other and interact with us, um, what their future would be. As I prayed for them, as I watched them, I kind of was wondering, you know, who, who would become what? Which of them would maybe even marry each other one of these days, you know? I know that's disgusting to you kids now, um, the thought of that. But it could happen. And then I thought, well, you know, you know, which one of these will I call pastor one day? You know, maybe we're looking at one of the future pastors of our church. There's one boy in particular that I thought, he's got the markings of a pastor. <laughs> you all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> all right? So um, um, I thought... I may just start calling him pastor now and just <laughs> just start with that. But uh, thank you for everyone who, who worked on that. That was, that was beautiful, and, and, and it, my soul needed that. Luke chapter 2 is where we're continuing our series here. And before we read the text, I want to give you a little bit of background of the text to give a running start. When Luke is going to... Remember, Luke's writing, first of all, he's, rewriting, he's writing to a person by the name of Theophilus. That's the reason why he wrote the book. This is volume one of a two-volume set. The book of Acts is volume two. He's writing to this man to tell them to tell him about Jesus and to kind of give a proof of who Jesus was and to kind of give a historical narrative of Jesus, how he came to be, and, and all this stuff. And most likely Theophilus was a believer. Um, and this was kind of a, an apologetic or a defense of Jesus Christ, a Christology work, if you will. And so he's given things in different ways that would help us understand this. And and the Bible, it really wasn't written to us necessarily because it was written to specific people like Luke to Theophilus. But even though the Bible wasn't written to us specifically, it was written for us. And so we can learn from this. And so when we come to this, what Luke is doing is he, he's going to introduce some things to us. He's going to tell us a little bit about what happened here. And on the eighth day, Jesus is taken and he's circumcised. And then uh, 33 days later on, uh, the 40th day, they go to the temple and, and they present Jesus there. And so Luke is introducing these things and, and talks about ceremonies and stuff. And he kind of is summarizing it. And actually, two offerings would have taken place then. There's two ceremonies that Luke is talking about. So when we read the text, you're going to see kind of two ceremonies that, that Luke is summarizing into one. Let me, let me explain what those ceremonies were just so you know when we read the text. The first one would be called the ceremony of purification. After giving birth, the, 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 the woman would be considered, in, according to Jewish law, ceremonial law, she'd be ceremonial unclean for the male child, if she had a male child, particularly the first one, be considered unclean for seven days and then, then after that another 33 days. And then at that time, they would go to the temple and uh, would give the offering. And this is the offering that we read about here. It would, normally, it would be an offering of a lamb. But if the family couldn't afford a lamb, then they could give two turtle doves or two pigeons instead. And so when we see, Luke, when you read in just a few minutes here of that being the offering, what we can infer from that is that Mary and Joseph, I don't think that they were in abject poverty, but they definitely weren't wealthy and they couldn't afford the standard offering that would have 
have been offered during that time. So that's the first ceremony of, of purification. So then, then she's, she's made uh, pure again. She can, she can touch holy things. She can go to her uh, place in the temple and things like that. A second offering that was going to happen, or a second uh, ceremony that was happening here, here, is the redemption of the firstborn. You have to do some study in the Old Testament to kind of piece this together. But in, in Numbers chapter 3, Numbers chapter 18, we really get an understanding of what's happening here of, of, of when the firstborn child, a male firstborn child, would come, he was considered separated to the Lord or consecrated to the Lord. Now, and so they had to bring him to the temple, they had to present him to the temple and offer him to God, and then they had to buy him back. Now, where did this start? Where did this come from? Well, this started back in the Exodus when the people were leaving the land of Egypt. And remember the last plague. Remember all those plagues? Remember the last plague in Egypt was the death of the firstborn son. But you remember the Israelites' firstborn son was saved because of the offering or the sacrifice, the, the, the atonement that was put, the blood over the, the door uh, on the side of the post and over the top. And so, so they were saved and they were passed over. And so after that, you read about this in Numbers chapter 3. After this, what God says, he says, Because I passed over you, all of the Levites, remember there's 12 tribes, the tribe of Levite, their mind, they're considered my firstborn. And that's why they were in the priestly service. So this is where the Levitical priesthood started. Was when Jesus said, okay, because I saved the firstborns, the, God said, these are mine. And he said, for all the other tribes, the, all the other 11 tribes, for your firstborn, you need to present them to me because all first things, all the first fruits are mine, but then you can buy them back for five shekels of silver. Now, it seems like an elaborate plan here. And is this, is this a way for God to get rich or what, what's the thing? Well, God doesn't need money. Why do why you do this? Well, remember, everything in the Bible points to one place and time, and that's Jesus. One person in time, Jesus. So this idea of redeemer, a redemption, started way back then. So this is what's happening here. So when they go to the temple, when Jesus is brought to the temple, his earthly parents have to redeem him back. They had to redeem the redeemer so that they in turn could be redeemed from their sins. See, the reason why this is so important is because Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoptions of sons. See, Jesus needed to perfectly obey the law, perfectly fulfill the law. And that started when he was an infant. That started when he was 40 days old, when his parents obeyed the law and redeemed him back. And so he lived this life of perfect obedience, and he was the redeemer. So this is why this is so important here. So these are the ceremonies, the things that Luke is summarizing here. And then we're introduced to two people. We're introduced to Simeon and Anna. Now, Anna is going to play a secondary role in this. Okay, so we're not going to really spend much time in here. The reason why he includes both these characters is Luke wants to, to solidify in Theophilus' mind that um, devout people, that they're both, they're both uh, called righteous or devout. These devout people who knew the scriptures, who were studying the scriptures, who were waiting for the, the, the presentation of the Messiah, 
they accepted Jesus as an infant as the Messiah. So this is the reason why Luke includes Simeon and Anna here as further proof to Theophilus. But then he includes a little bit more information about Simeon, about who he was, and about what his message was. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning here. But let's look at the text first. Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21. Luke 2, 21, it says this. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when, his, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took them up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared in the presence that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people Israel and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that his thoughts, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanedel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. And to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And this is the word of the living God. And so what do we know about Simeon? Let's focus on Simeon for a few minutes here this morning. What do we know about him? First of all, he was an intensely spiritual man. The description that we have is actually very little. It says that he was righteous and he was devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's really all we know about him. We don't know much else about him. We don't know uh, where he came from. We don't know uh, uh, who he was. We don't know if he was married. We don't know if he had children. We really don't know much about him. Some people refer to him as a prophet. Uh, we don't know if that was his official capacity or if he just had this one prophecy here. We we don't really know anything about him. Um, there's a lot of uh, speculation, church history of who this man became, but it's really unfounded. There's really no way of, of proving this. He really is pretty much an, uh, an unknown person. And the reason why that Luke includes him in here is because, he, again, he wants to emphasize and, and, and help Theophilus understand that, that, that this Jesus, this is the promised Messiah. And this person here who was righteous, who was someone who was characterized by good works, who was someone who, who, was, who, 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 when you looked at him, you thought, this person is living his life in a way that pleases God. And he was devout. That meant he was very careful with his expressions of adherence to the law. And so if there was a 
law, he kept it, and he was very, very careful about that. And so here was this person, he's righteous, and he was devout. And so when Theophilus is weighing his understanding of Jesus, and someone like this is presented to him as evidence, it would be telling. But he was also waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the redemption of Israel. He was waiting for for Jesus. He was waiting for the Messiah. This was someone who would be a good example. He was intensely spiritual. I don't know who you think about. I don't know if any names come to mind when you think of someone righteous, devout, or waiting for Jesus. But, you know, my grandfather comes to my mind when I think of him, when I think of that characteristic. I've shared a little bit with you before about my grandfather, my, my dad's dad. Um, he was an intensely spiritual man, particularly in his retirement years. He loved God's word. He loved uh, his grandchildren. He prayed for his grandchildren. Um, probably one of the reasons why I'm not incarcerated is because of my grandfather's prayers. <laughs> he loved us. My grandfather would get up at 4.30 every morning in his retirement years because that was the time my father would get up to go to work. My grandfather wanted to be praying for his son as he went to work every day. He, he, he loved Jesus. One thing I appreciate about my grandfather, and I lived with him for a short time, was that, that he would talk about wanting Jesus to come back. He, he, he longed for Jesus. And the thing that I got the sense from him is it wasn't like an escapism. It wasn't like, oh, I just, I just hate this world, and, and I'm tired of this. I'm tired of arthritis. And I'm tired of all these things. And I just want to leave here, and I want it to be easy and comfortable. That wasn't the reason why he wanted Jesus to come back. That wasn't the reason why he was, he was ready to depart. When I think of someone that was righteous, devout, and waiting for, G, for, for, for Jesus, I think of my grandfather. His life was all about pointing people to Jesus. This was Simeon's life. He was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Maybe you think of somebody else. Uh, you know, maybe um, as I was thinking about this, uh, I didn't know him very well, but from all accounts, Dan Orloff Sr. came to my mind. I was thinking about this characteristic here. Who do you know in your life that can be characterized by this? Now, the reason why Luke included this was to point people to Jesus. And so if there is someone who God has placed in your life that would be characterized by this, they're there for a purpose, to point you to Jesus. They were given, these people are given to us, and like Simeon, to encourage us to follow in their footsteps of being righteous, devout, and living while waiting for Jesus. Now, not only was he intensely spiritual, man, but secondly, he was uniquely blessed by God. One of the things that he uh, was promised, he was, it was revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Now, that, that, was, that was an incredible promise to receive. It was an incredible gift to know that he would see the Messiah, and he believed that, and he was waiting for that. And so we see this, that it was promised them that he would see this. But it seems that another unusual blessing is that he had uh, the Spirit of God resting on him more than what would be normal during this time. The work of the Holy Spirit was slightly different in the Old Testament because later on after Jesus left the earth when he ascended, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come. And, and then he has an indwelling work with believers today, but it's seems that that was not his standard work previous to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And so for, for someone to be consistently led by the Spirit, or the Spirit be upon him, that was a, a, an incredible blessing of God that he had to be led and, uh, by the Spirit of God and to know what God was expecting from him and what he should be doing. So the unique blessings were part of God's plan here. 
to reveal that the Messiah, to reveal the Messiah to the world. So I wonder what unique blessings you have, and if you're using them for their purpose. Everything we have is a work of God. Remember earlier in our call to worship, we said that we were going to study the works of God and praise him for this. And the reason why God has done things in your life and given you the talents and abilities and gifts and the blessings that you have is to point people to him. That's really what it is for. So let's use those. So we see some interesting things about Simeon right away here that he was, he was uh, unusually blessed by God and he was an intensely spiritual man. But you know, that's not the main point of the narrative of Simeon, I, I, I believe. I believe we find in his song in verse 29 the main reason why he's included here. What did he communicate? He really has two messages. He has two messages here for us uh, this, 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 in this text here. The first one is this song that he breaks out and starts singing. Picture, picture this, this, this tender moment. I mean, I mean, here, here's Simon who, who, has, who, has, who has been promised that he will, will not see the death until he sees Messiah. And so he comes into the temple. He's led into the temple by the Spirit of God. And so he sees Mary, he sees Joseph, and he sees this baby. Think about what his soul must have done. I mean, Mary and Joseph were clueless at this point. They didn't know that this was going to happen. It it wasn't like that Joseph got up in the morning and said, hey, you know, we really need to get to the temple on time because Simeon's waiting for us. All right? That's not what happened. They, They got there. Simeon came in, and he sees this baby. In a very tender moment, he picks up this baby and says, now. In English, we have ways to give emphasis to words and sentences. Uh, in written form, we underline bold, italicize, things like that. Sometimes in communication, we can, we can emphasize a word by how we pronounce it or, or the, the pause that we give around it. In the language that the New Testament was originally written in, we have a very, there's, there's several ways of giving emphasis to word, and one of them is word order. And in this particular case, I believe that Luke was giving emphasis to the fact that, it, which we lose a little bit in our English translation. He says this, he says, now I'm ready. You see, you see now that he saw, the, 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 he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant. Now is actually the first word in the, in the sentence there, in the original language there. And he's saying, now I'm ready here. As he saw the Messiah. He said that Jesus is the Savior or the salvation of all peoples. He says a light in verse 32. A light of revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So for Jew and Gentile, like all types of people, all people groups, Jesus is the answer. And this is what Simeon is is singing praise about. And this is what he's communicating here. This is the Savior, not just of Israel, not just the consolation of Israel, but the Savior of the world. Savior for you. Savior for me. The song of praise. But I find most striking is back in verse 29 as he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It's a euphemism for death. You see, Jesus was ready, excuse me, Simeon was ready to die because he saw Jesus. He fulfilled the purpose in life. He saw the Messiah. He knew Jesus. 
And he says, okay, I'm ready. One of the things I appreciate is that, that Simeon here, he, he, there, was, there was nothing else that had to happen in his life. He was ready. I wonder, as I was thinking about how we can make contemporary application to this, I was wondering if, if we're ready to die. I thought of different examples of being given due to time. I'm not going to go down all those different examples, but we've all heard stories of some people who are ready to die and some people who are not. And what's the real difference? I believe for Simeon here, the difference is he knew Jesus. He knew the Messiah. He knew the promises of God. He says, I'm ready. I've been involved with a lot of different funerals and, and see people pass away over the years. I remember when I was in high school, I'll just share this one example with you. When I was in high school, there was a, a girl by the name of Brooke that um, she was not a believer, and she was terrified. She was terrified of death. And the reason why she was terrified of death was because she was diagnosed with cancer. She was, I believe, 16 years old, and she just was terrified of death. My youth pastor began to talk with her and share the gospel message with her, teach her about Jesus. And she accepted Jesus as her Savior. I remember as a youth group, we would go over to her, to her home and then to her hospital room, and we'd visit with her, and we'd talk with her, and we'd get around her room, her bed, and, and we would try to encourage her and, and cheer her up. As you can imagine, the disease got worse. And then she eventually passed away. I think she was about 17 at the time. But you know what I, as I, as I think back on Brooke, and honestly, I can't even remember her last name. But you know what stands out to me? It stands out to me that one day, when we knew the time was close, we were at her home. She looked up at my youth pastor and she said, I'm not afraid anymore. I'm ready. What was the difference? The difference was Jesus. And Simeon, he was ready for his life to be done because he knew Jesus. Why, why are we here? You know, I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Call by Oz Guinness. And he's, he's basically wrestling with the question, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? And he argues in a very compelling way that only Christianity can give a true purpose of life and can give us a readiness to depart. Simeon was ready because he knew Jesus. That was his first message. The second message, he gives a prophetic word to Mary here. Again, picture this tender scene. He picks up this child. He picks up the child holds him in his arms, sings this song of praise, this, this, ad, this uh, adoration. Mary and Joseph are amazed at this. They weren't expecting this. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them, and he said to his mother something. So he gives a prophetic word to Mary, and I don't know if other people couldn't hear it or whatever. I don't know if he's holding baby Jesus, and then as he's, he's putting the, the baby back into the arms of, of Mary, he whispers into her ear. I don't know how this all played out, 
But what Luke tells us is he said something to Mary, and then later on Mary tells Luke, and, and he says this. He basically says, well, I'll, I'll read the text. He says, behold, this child, I'm in verse 34, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The Prince of Peace, he was saying, would cause a moral decision for all people. All people are faced with the decision of what they're going to do with Jesus Christ. He said, this baby will cause the rise and the fall of many. Many people will, will believe. Many people will reject. And then he says something. He says, in you, a sword will pierce through your soul also. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't there. Luke doesn't tell us. But as I imagine in my mind, he whispers that to Mary. As a sword will pierce your soul. Mary, what do you think that did to her? She didn't fully comprehend everything. She kept pondering these things, thinking about these things. We read about that earlier. And John, later on in the book of John, when we see a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross and he looks down at Jesus and he says to John, he says, Behold your mother. You see, Joseph was nowhere around. Most people think Joseph died when Jesus was young. We don't have any evidence of Joseph being in the picture while Jesus was was growing up. We don't know that for sure, but we know that that Joseph wasn't there at the cross. Mary was there by herself. She had some people there with her, but she felt by herself. The sword had pierced her soul. What do we learn from this? Not only does Jesus cause a moral decision for everybody, but there's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. Jesus will later on warn his disciples. He'll later on say, be careful. Really be careful if you want to follow me or not. Because there's a cost. And so from this text, we see several things here. And our time is gone as an abbreviated message this morning because of all the other things that we had planned for the service. But I did want to say this, that Jesus causes everybody to make a moral decision. So do you accept or reject Jesus? In many ways, this question is tightly interwoven into the Christmas story. I mean, consider the massacre of the innocents. Some people accepted Jesus and praised him, the shepherds, but a king did not. I went out to kill all the firstborn children, male children under two years of old age. So Jesus causes everyone to make a moral decision. Jesus is a great revealer of a person's thoughts and soul. So how we interact with Jesus will determine our eternal destiny. I've given my life to that message. It's not an easy message to tell. But Jesus causes everyone to make this moral decision. Knowing Jesus gives fulfillment to life and prepares us for eternity is another thing that we can take away from this. Simeon here, he had a life of satisfaction. He waited and he waited and he saw Jesus and he says, now I can depart in peace. He understood the sovereignty of God over life and death. And he says, okay, now you can let me depart. Now, now you can go. You are in control over all things and you have kept me alive until this very moment and, and for at least up until this very moment. And now I see the salvation with my own eyes in this baby.
Knowing Jesus gives fulfillment to life and prepares us for eternity. Simeon foretold, Mary, that following Jesus comes at a cost. Jesus will later warn his disciples, as I mentioned. So, I have three questions, and then we'll pray. Here are the three questions. I put them on the screen. Number one, who is Jesus to you? How you answer that question has great significance. Number two, are you ready to die like Simeon? And the difference is, is if you know Jesus. He gives a peace that passes all understanding. I visited a lady in the hospital yesterday. She's not a member of our church. She's a believer. She's gone through cancer. Terrible things. And I said, how are you doing, Ruth? She said, I've got so much peace. I don't even understand it. Where did that peace come from? It came from Jesus. Number three, are you willing to follow Jesus even if it's hard? I think these are the questions that we need to wrestle with this, Christ- this Christmas season and from this text here. So you think about that. You wrestle with these questions and answer them as, as honestly as you can before the face of God. Let us pray. Father, these are important questions for us to wrestle with. It's a little heavy. I just couldn't I just couldn't see any other way to go with this text. I just I just couldn't see what else we should learn from this. Father, your word needs to change us. And only you can change us. Father, I want to say thank you for Jesus. I didn't get a chance to see him as a baby. But I know I'll be able to see him as a man in heaven. I didn't get a chance to hold him in my arms like Simeon. But I will get a chance to look at his face and say, this is my salvation. I didn't get a chance to embrace Mary and warn her of the hurt that she would feel. But I know I will get a chance to embrace her and thank her and rejoice with her for your sustaining grace. And these privileges will come because because of Jesus. Father, I pray that that we would wrestle with this. There's some that may reject the notion of Jesus, and I pray that you would you'd cause them to wrestle with this question. And for someone like myself who accepts who Jesus is, I pray that I, you would cause me to wrestle with this. And people like me find out if we truly live as though Jesus were our Lord and Savior. So as we sing, as we hear the choir sing one more time, And then as we depart, pray that we'd wrestle with these three questions and worship you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's stand together.